Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church family. Thank you for your prayers and thank you for your love and support. And both Pastor Dio and I, we truly appreciate that. There are some passages of scriptures as you go through that it might be easy to easy to 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 understand, to go through, and 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 the Lord will, will grant you. Uh, the directions that you want to go. Some passages that you look at and then you wonder which direction should I be going because it's a little struggle sometimes to think about. Then I must admit that this is one of those passages or narrative in the scriptures where I had, I had three different approaches. So I, I was just wondering which direction I should be going. So I sought the Lord and I really thank the Lord for the direction that God has given. Uh, and I just truly pray and, and ask the Lord that God will minister to each one of us in a very personal, intimate way. As I went through the passage over and over again, there's one phrase that popped up very clearly. Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And I look at the big picture and I realize, okay, the, the weeping was for a short period of time and it turned into joy. So that's how I picked up this topic <laughs> your sorrow will turn into joy. So I'm sure that this morning as we gather together, there are some of you maybe having challenges, worries, anxieties, concerns. I just want you to focus on what the Lord is going to tell you today, this morning. We are drawing near the end of the exposition of the Gospel of John, and uh, we have been looking at the death and burial of our Lord in the final chapters of this gospel. Last week we looked at the empty tomb, which assured us actually that the Lord has risen, just as he said. But no one has seen the Lord risen Christ yet. So well, that changes in the rest of this chapter. The gospel of John records only four of the ten post-resurrection appearances of the Lord. In this chapter 20, three of the four are noted. The first one is to Mary Magdalene that we are going to look at today. And then he appeared in the presence of the disciples without Thomas. And then he appeared with Thomas. And then the lastly, we will see within the Gospel of John in chapter 21, where he appeared to the seven fishermen, these disciples, who went back to the Sea of Tiberias to fish. Four appearances. The other six appearances that you'll find as you go through the synoptic gospels, he met, uh, Jesus revealed himself or showed himself to the other woman that we see in the scriptures. And there are two disciples on the road to, uh, to Emmaus that we saw that. And his half-brother James, all the apostles, and to 500 brethren, and probably on the mountain of Mount in Galilee. And what's interesting, church, is that all these appearances that we see in the scripture, 
are to believers. There was only one unbeliever to whom Jesus appeared after his resurrection. Of course, you know who that was. Saul. And it was Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And once the Lord appeared, he wasn't an unbeliever any longer. It's a very important thing for you to get. So let me make a bold statement here before, as we are about to dive into this passage. I believe that every encounter with the risen Christ ends up with either a conviction or a conversion. Either a conviction or a conversion. So these post-resurrection appearances of the Lord are very important because they give evidence of the truth of the resurrection. They give evidence. And the resurrection is important. Why? Because everything about Christian faith stands or fails upon the truth of the resurrection of Christ. Because you cannot be a Christian without believing in the resurrection. Here's what the passage says. Paul writes to the Romans. And he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has, read with me, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. So what you're about to see is paramount to our Christian faith and to our Christian walk. Last week, Pastor Dave walked us through the verses 1 to 10, which is the background of the story that we are going to look at this morning. We saw Mary went to the tomb very early and discovered that the stone was rolled away, taken away. So she ran to Peter and John excitedly and reported that the tomb was empty. So what happens next is Peter and John immediately ran to the tomb. Peter entered the tomb and discovered the grave clothes, and we looked at it last week, without Christ's body. Then John goes in and he saw, and John writes, that he believed, that he believed that Christ was risen. But Peter went away, so you're still pondering what had happened, and after viewing the empty tomb, the disciples who had been with him for three years, have heard his preaching and teaching, this is what they did. Verse number 10. Then the disciples went away, and where did they go? Again to their own homes. They thought it's the end of the story. Let's go back to our lives. Three years we had a good time with the Lord Jesus Christ. The both men returned to where they had been staying in Jerusalem. I wonder what you and I would do if we had that encounter with Christ. Think about this. Well, today we pick up from there, from verse number 11. The narrative now returns to Mary Magdalene, who was the first to discover the empty tomb. Apparently, she had followed the two men back to the tomb. When they left, she remained. Look at this verse 11 now. But. So here was Mary who came, went and told that Peter came, and John came, and Mary came with them. The other two returned, 
And verse number 11 starts, but. Meaning that Mary did something that the others did not do. That's what it means, the word but means. So Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. So I want you to picture this in the theater of your mind in order for you to understand or comprehend. She stood outside the tomb and was doing what? She was weeping. Imagine that. The words weeping and the wept means to sob, to wail aloud. This word, actually it means a loud lamentation. It's an expression of grief. A typical, a typical of mourners in the ancient Near East. The same verb was used to describe Mary, the sister of Lazarus, when he died. The very same words. So as we read through the text, we'll see there are three factors that contributed to the sorrow of Mary. Let me present it first to you so that you can come along with me. The first one is the disappointments and misunderstandings. So Mary came preparing, or she was prepared to embalm the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was disappointed that she could not do it. We learn that she is disappointed because she didn't understand what God is doing here. And church, for us too, when we don't understand his sovereign perspective, we become sorrowful. Secondly, we see second factor is that the evil deed of evil men can cause sorrow. Because Mary is asking the question here, yeah, and we're going to look at that a bit later. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. They, meaning the evil men, had removed my Lord. They had done some evil deed. She thought evil men had triumphed over God's sovereign purposes. How many times have we thought that way in our lives? We do the same. When we forget, forget that God is sovereign and that evil men cannot do anything to foil eternal purposes. The third factor that we see here is the death of our loved ones. Of course, that will make you sorrowful. We feel the loss every day for the rest of our lives. But for a moment, if you think about yourself as a believer, and the one who died is also died in Christ, it is a time to celebrate. It is not a time to grieve. I was at a funeral yesterday. A mother passed away. She is one of my aunts. And my two of my cousins were there. And honestly, I must tell you, it was a time of celebration. celebration. Celebrating her life. Celebrating the hope that we have in Christ. That we are all going to be reunited. That can only happen in Christ and Christ alone. So, Church, Mary was weeping. Just like Mary, we may be weeping today, I don't know, over disappointment, misunderstandings, evil deeds of evil men, or even loss of someone near and dear. I do hope that the Lord would minister to your grieving heart this morning as we navigate our way through the text. 
Through the study, we learn how to turn our sorrow into joy. So why was Mary weeping? Why was she weeping? She believes Jesus' body has been stolen. Let's remember that Mary Magdalene, the very same Mary, she witnessed most of the events surrounding the crucifixion. She was aware of the mock trial of Jesus. She knew that Pontius Pilate pronounced the death sentence on Jesus. She saw Jesus was beaten and humiliated by the crowd. She was one of the women who stood near the cross during crucifixion trying to comfort Jesus. She looked on as his body was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And we went through that scriptures. And now she believed that the body of the Lord had been taken away. It was almost too much to bear. She has just witnessed the gruesome, horrific crucifixion. Now the body cannot be found. Put yourself in that position. Apostle John, weeping is the sign that Mary Magdalene has not yet imagined the possibility of the resurrection. Do you agree with me? Of course. She has not remembered the promises of his resurrection. He is a devoted follower of Jesus, yet she obviously did not believe or did not remember what Jesus had taught her. The irony is this, church, Jesus had forewarned them many times, and you see that in the Gospels, that is about this resurrection. But what do you see here? They found that concept of resurrection too incredible to accept. It was too good to be true. It was too good to be true that Jesus can rise again. As we read verse number 11, look at this. And as she wept, she stood, stooped down and looked into the tomb. And what did she see? Look at verse number 12. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. How many of you believe that the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is written? How many of you believe in that? You do. So there must be a reason for all the details that the Spirit allowed the authors to, to write down. It's not there just so that there is some additional information you may or may not need. There's a reason why the law, why the Holy Spirit had prompted Apostle John to write in such clear details about the angels and where they are seated and so on. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laying, one at the head and one at the feet. These angels must have looked like quite human to Mary for her to see. The tomb was obviously large enough to accommodate two man-sized angels sitting at either end of the place where Jesus' body had laid. The interesting observation, this is the only place in the scripture that you will find the angels described as sitting, as sitting. Why is this detail important? Why is this important? 
Apostle John, by including this detail, he is also nudging his readers, especially the, his original Jewish audience, to understand something else. So what could this mean? What would his Jewish readers have associated with two angels about six to five feet away from each other? One commentator gives this explanation. This would make them think of Exodus 25. Let me bring it up for you. In Exodus 25, verse 22, we see this. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between, read with me, the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony. Are you with me? The, the, the recipients of this gospel are the Jewish audience. Now for them, it's an immediate connection to the Old Testament, the instructions of what the Lord has spoken. What is he talking about? He's talking about the mercy seat. Let me show you a picture of that, of the mercy seat. I don't know how many of you can see it from there. And what you see on both sides are two cherubim, two angels. This was the place where God met men in mercy. That's where the high priest would go on the Day of Atonement, sprinkle the mercy seat seven times with blood to satisfy God. These details are very important, church. This is where man is reconciled to God. When man brings blood sacrifice for the atonement of his sins, and this happens on the Day of Atonement. What do we see at the empty tomb now? Two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of the crucified Christ. This represents Christ's death, a sacrifice of atonement. Look at this picture. This is of course a man-made picture, but I want you to look at the, the scene inside the tomb. It depicts the empty tomb with two angels seated at both ends. Here's what the scripture says about the act of Jesus. This is important. Hebrews 9.12. Look at it, church. Not with the blood of goats and calves. That was how it happened in the Old Testament era. Come along with me. Don't get lost. But, meaning is different now. That's what it means. With his own blood, he entered the most high place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Where was the Ark of the Covenant kept? In the Holy of Holies, in the most holy place. So in Hebrews that we read, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, he meaning who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is our mercy seat now. He is our mercy seat now. Similar conviction was made by Apostle Paul. He uses the same Greek word for mercy seat when he wrote this, wrote to the 
to the epistle to the, in, to the Romans, he says his uh, verse three, chapter 3, verse 25, uh, the mercy seat is translated as a sacrifice of atonement. Let me read this to you. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Please follow with me carefully, church, to understand the theological implication here. The crucifixion of Christ is portrayed as fulfilling the commandments concerning the Day of Atonement. Let me repeat that statement. The crucifixion of Christ is portrayed as fulfilling the commandments concerning the Day of Atonement. By means of the crucifixion of Christ, God has provided the mercy seat once and for all, and it opened to all. And you must say amen to that. One can trust, if you have faith, that the atonement has been made. So here with the description of the angel seated at the head and the feet, where the crucified Christ's body laid, Apostle John wants us to grasp the death and the resurrection of Jesus, constituted the final and ultimate sacrifice for sin, whereby all believers can come into the presence of God as forgiven sinners, representing the mercy seat of Christ. Church, aren't we glad that we do not need to sacrifice to be reconciled to God? When we approach the mercy seat of Christ with a contrite and repentant heart, we are made free. We are made right with God. We are made His children. Our tears would turn into joy. Amen? Praise be to God. Because of the resurrected Christ. Church, Mary was right there. She could not comprehend it because she was still in the middle of the story. Why do I say she's in the middle of the story? Because she has not still seen with her own eyes the risen Christ. If she had known it, her sorrow would have turned into joy. But you and I have no excuse. We know the end of the story. We know what happened afterwards. Mary's weeping can be explained somehow, but not yours and mine today if you are a child of God. If you are a child of God. Come to the mercy seat of Christ this morning. Receive the atonement. Christ has done it for you all. It is at the mercy seat of Christ you find redemption. So church, in order to turn your sorrow into joy, the first thing is we have to come to the mercy seat of Christ. I'm not sure where you are in life today. What types of burden that you are facing today? Let this be the day. Come to the mercy seat of Christ and receive the joy that comes from him. Let's move on to verse 13. Let us see the conversation between angels and Mary Magdalene. Now, she is looking, she saw these two angels, and then they said to her, they meaning who? The angels said to Mary, woman, why are you weeping? The angels didn't ask the questions to gain information. The inference is that her tears were not really called for. 
if you are a true disciple of god if you are a true believer of god the tears are unwarranted now but look at how she phrased the question the answer look at this letter part of it because they have taken away who my lord my lord and i do not know where they have laid him see how mary magdalene is speaking of the lord my lord this is very personal church she didn't say they have taken away the lord she says they have taken away my lord you yes, ask pastor who is this mary magdalene then to call him my lord you know as you look at the scriptures in the in the in the in the synoptic gospels you'll find that mary magdalene was a woman from whom jesus cast out seven demons and and we can go on i don't want to take much time on that but i just want to refer this uh, to this passage and certain women i just want to look at the second part of it and certain women who had who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities and and look at the the next line mary called magdalene out of whom had come seven demons so what are we taking from that there was mary magdalene she was possessed with seven types of different demons she came to the lord and she has received that healing you get it it didn't stop there it didn't stop there look at the first part of it not only now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village who is he jesus preaching and bringing the glad tidings meaning the good news of the kingdom of god and who are with them the 12 were with him and certain women and then mary is one of those women who accompanied him So it's not only that Mary along with some other women were traveling with Jesus and his disciples is an important factor here. She was in the close circuit of our Lord Jesus Christ that she could address him as my lord. Yet church she did not believe in the promises of the Lord. to realize at this crucial time that Christ is risen the humanness in her it came out though she professed with her mouth her conviction did not come from the heart do you see that if only she had trusted in the promises of god things would be different from this we see that mary wept because she forgets that god is sovereign and that evil men cannot do anything to thwart his eternal purposes if only she had trusted in the prophetic utterances of the lord jesus christ or his word the empty empty tomb should have been the cause of great joy but instead looking at it from the divine standpoint she was looking at it from human standpoint how about us church many of us are in this category today there is a form of godliness in us but god is not in us let me repeat that there is a form of godliness in us but god may not be in us we'll call him my lord my lord but we'll deny 
his sovereignty in our hearts. When everything is going well for you, is easy. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. All glory be to God. It's easy. But when the rubber hits the road, when you're faced with the trial, do you sit and weep like Mary or trust in the promises of God? So the second way to overcome your sorrow into joy is to we have to remember and reflect on the promises of God. We see this in the book of Psalms. A beautiful psalm, Psalm 46. How does it start? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Read your way through that. Verse number 10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. We love the portion. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Boy, I'm going to cling on to him. When the rubber hits the road, when we faced with the first challenge, we forget all that. God says, be still and know that I am God. Know that I am God. Let's read on verse 14 now. Now when she had said this, said what? Verse 13, this is what he says. Because they have taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid him. When you, verse number 14 says, now she has said this. This is what she said to the angels. They have taken away. I don't know where they are. To whom did she say? To the angels. Now, come along very carefully. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. There was no reason for Mary to turn around. Why should you turn around? You are talking to the angels. Your eyes are focused in the tomb. But she turned around. What made Mary to turn around? You know, the 4th century church fathers by the name of John Chrysostom, he, he, meant, he says this. As the Lord appeared, now Mary is looking at the tomb and the Lord appeared, the angels who are seated there, they bow down. And Mary turned to see whom they were bowing down to. Then we read in verse 14, <clears throat> and we saw again Jesus standing there, but Mary did not know that it was Jesus. And there are many reasons why they say that Mary could not Notice that it was Jesus. Number one, could have been because of the tears and grief. Her, it would have been a clouded vision for her. That could be. Maybe a cataract. I don't know. Secondly, it could be because it was early morning and this was a hazy vision that she couldn't see that person. Or thirdly, I am convinced that Christ will not come back to life. This can't be Christ. must be somebody else looking like Christ. But we are not told why Mary didn't recognize Jesus. But come along with me, please. When you do a study of Christ's encounters, I came to this conclusion 
that I believe that Mary didn't recognize Jesus because she was prevented from recognizing him. She was prevented from recognizing him. You might ask, Pastor, how can you say this? As we examine the text, often in the resurrection narratives, Jesus is not immediately recognized. The Bible does not specifically tell us why the followers of Christ did not always recognize Jesus after his resurrection, but we can make this observation with other encounters. Church, even though Jesus had predicted that he would rise again on the third day, the disciples did not fully understand. Look at this. Really, it made me so angry at the disciples as I was preparing this message. Look at this, Mark chapter 9, verse 32. For he taught his disciples and said to them, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. Which part of it you don't understand, disciples? After and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand his saying and were afraid to ask him. Because clearly they were not looking for him to be resurrected. This can account for some of the surprise and shock at seeing him. You know, when you survey the post-resurrection encounters, one, we, one, one you can easily see in the scriptures that with the naked eye, no one could recognize him. It's only through the eyes of faith, a heart of conviction, you can see the resurrected Christ. For example, let me tell you, the, the couple who were going in the road of Emmaus, to, to, to Emmaus Road, when the Lord spoke to them about the Old Testament prophecies coming to pass, that's when their eyes of faith was opened. When the disciples were shut down after, when Jesus crucified, they locked up in the room. When the Lord showed his nail-pierced hands, that their eyes of faith was opened. When our friend Thomas asked all the questions, when the Lord asked him, come touch me, feel it, the eyes of faith, he was able to see it. When the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, when Jesus arrived, they could not see until Jesus said, cast the net on the right side. Then they, through the eyes of faith, they were able to see Christ. People needed proof to trust the resurrected Christ. But here is what the Lord exhorting us to do. This I believe <clears throat> he must have said with so much pain. And I hope we don't fall into this category. This is Thomas he's saying, and we'll look at this later another day. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet I believed. Wow. Wow. You know, this is not a statement. God made it. Jesus made it lightly. With so much pain. I really wept when I read this passage. Because there are times that I've questioned God. I've questioned God because, not because I don't trust in him. He doesn't fit into the equation that I had. But God says, blessed are those who have not seen, yet believed. Yet believed. You can only believe through the eyes of faith. How about you, church? 
what is your response to the resurrected Christ? In our narrative today, when did Mary acknowledge that Jesus, it was indeed the risen Christ? Let's read on. Verse number 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So we read, read here the first recorded post-resurrection words of Jesus. Do you know that this is the very first thing that Jesus spoke? Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And I believe even today the Lord is asking us the same question. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? It's a very personal question to us. To each one of us. Jesus repeats the angel's words again to Mary. And again, Jesus is not asking a question to gain information. He is trying to make Mary think through the eyes of faith. As to what type of Messiah Jesus was. And, and here's what we see in verse number 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. What do you see here, church? Jesus is calling out her name and immediately, come along with me, she turned and said, Rabboni. At once she knew it was Jesus. So let me ask you a question here, church. Does Mary, Mary's immediate response to the call of her name Remind you of any particular teaching of Jesus? Of course. My, read with me, please. My sheep will do what? Hear my voice and what? I know him and then what? They will do, they will follow me. Mary! She heard Jesus' voice. Mary is one of his sheep. And she heard his voice. And then you ask, Pastor, how can you say that she was convicted in her heart? Look at verse 16 again, please. It's beautiful how the Spirit of the Lord write these things down. Jesus said to her, Mary, and then read the next line with me. She turned and said to him, Rabboni. You know, it's very interesting. John describes Mary's movement. She did what? She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Have you wondered why does she have to turn to him? Because she was talking to him. I am talking to Jesus. But John says, she turned to him. She has already turned and talking to Jesus. What does that mean? So in verse 14, church, now when she has said this, she turned around and we saw Jesus, right? That's what he looked at. Already looking at Jesus. She was talking to him. Did she turn away after that. 
For her to turn again, she should have turned away. The word turned in Greek was also used by the early church for the turning away from former life to the life of faith. From former life to the life of faith. Some even translate it to be converted in some contexts. So perhaps John meant to explain that at the sound of Jesus' voice, Mary was convicted. That she turned from disbelief to faith. We have seen that in the other resurrection encounters, what do we learn from this church? An encounter with the risen Savior will change your life from disbelief to faith, from being a sinner to a saint. So the third way to change our sorrow into joy is we must encounter or we must seek the risen Savior. A true encounter will cause the change. And we saw that in Apostle Saul, Apostle Paul. He was a Saul, the encounter converted him. Here Mary was a believer, an encounter convicted her. That's what they're looking at here. Let's keep reading in verse 17 as we bring this message to a close. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. So Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. It would seem that Mary had probably fallen to her knees in the traditional Jewish form of greeting someone special and was clinging on to the legs of Jesus. Do not cling to me. Jesus' words are very difficult to interpret here. We would literally translate this as stop hanging on to me, implying that Mary was already clinging on to him. But why would John mention this detail? I believe there's a reason why John mentioned this. If she can cling on to something, that must be a solid figure, isn't it? John is trying to tell us the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not phantom. It is not an appearance of Jesus. It is indeed Jesus in person. That's the only way that you can cling on to that. The claim of the bodily resurrection of Jesus is central to the Christian message as the cornerstone of all claims of divinity and salvation. The fact that Mary was clinging to Jesus shows that he is not a phantom there. Now, when your sorrows have turned into joy, you have a huge responsibility. It, you know, let's say you come to the Lord with a burden. Oh, today, you know, we heard the testimony of, of, of Naziras and how God has turned a sorrow into joy. Son, I think it's an appropriate day that you have walked in to hear this message. But you have a huge, resp- I don't mean him alone. We all have huge responsibilities. You know, when this happens to you, as I was reading, the chorus that came to my mind was that it's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. How can I keep it quiet? Because you have been redeemed, you have been restored, God has answered your prayers. And what do you do? Jesus says, do not 
cling on to me, but go to my brethren and say to them. So Jesus not only first appears to Mary, he also commissions her to carry the good news to the disciples. Church, this is so striking. Come along with me, please, as I close this message. In that wider culture, both Jewish and Roman law normally regarded women's testimony as of quite limited value. But look at what Mary did at the end. Verse 18. Sorry, let me go to the verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Mary was commanded to do something when she saw the risen Christ. Here is something that we need to know. In the first century, women were not eligible to testify in Jewish court of law. Historian Josephus says this, even the witness of multiple women was not acceptable because of the levity and the boldness of their sex. So maybe Mary could have easily excused herself or justifies herself and stayed away from sharing the good news of turning sorrow into joy. She did not. All she did was she shared a story which was intertwined with his story. Church, that's the best way you can do evangelism. You don't need to take the Bible and hit people on their heads. Be careful how you use this. What is it called? The sword of the Spirit. If I'm hitting everybody with the sword, what will happen? They'll start to bleed. Be careful how you use it. I'm not belittling, ultimately it's the word that does the work. But start by sharing your story, which is intertwined with his story. Nobody can challenge that. As you know, we go on our mission trip. We go to hostile grounds. You cannot go and tell somebody, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can tell them my story. I was a wretched sinner. I did A, B, and C. I came to the Lord. The Lord redeemed me. He rescued me. Who did it? My Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot challenge that. That's my story, which is intertwined with his story. So as I'm narrating my story... You're actually hearing his story through my story. So she told the disciple that she has seen and that she had spoken these things. She was not concerned if her testimony would be received well. She did, it, she did not shy away for the fear of ridicule or intimidation. But she did not share her story. She told it. And she did not Alter the story. She said it as it was. I saw, and this is, what I, this is what happened. You know, it's interesting. In John chapter 9, we see the story of a blind man who received the healing from the Lord. And then he was questioned by the Jewish uh, authorities. Who healed you? They were trying to nail down Jesus. He was sick and tired of it. This is what he said. I don't know. All I know is I was blind. I can see. And he did it. It's my story. I'm not elevating Jesus here. I'm just telling you what he has done in my life and how my life has changed. You cannot challenge that. 
That's the truth. Church, if you have had that encounter, you need to go tell it on the mountain. You have a responsibility, every one of you. So as I close this, to overturn or to change your sorrow into joy, come to the mercy seat of Christ. Remember and reflect on his promises and encounter or seek the risen Christ. The scripture says when we seek, you will find him. When you seek, you will find him. And when you find him, do not keep it yourself. Go and tell it on the mountain. Go and tell it on the mountain. Can I have the worship team to come, please? And as they come, can I ask you all to rise, please? If any one of you here are going through difficulties, challenges, sorrows, sadness, I just encourage you to come to the mercy seat today. Come and receive what the Lord has to offer you. Remember and reflect on the promises of God. Seek Him. Seek the risen Christ. And He will comfort you. He will change your sorrow into joy. Those of you who have received it, go and tell it on the mountains. Father, we thank you. We just pray that you will be with every individual here. Father, you know their hearts. You know what's happening in their lives. If there is one amongst us who is still struggling, may this be the day. Let them come to the mercy seat of Christ and receive the joy that comes from you. Let them remember and reflect on the promises of God. Let them earnestly seek you and they will find you. When they find you, they will not only be convicted, but they will be converted. And I just pray those of us who have received that blessing, help us to go and tell it on the mountains. So help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.